We have come today to uh, the end of this little series of messages that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. I'm just going to make myself a little space here. That uh, we've simply been calling destination. And uh, we've been kind of thinking together about what it will take to arrive at the destination that God has in mind for us. Whether that be at the end of our lives, you know, when we come to our last days, or whether that be at the end even of this new year that we've entered into. When we come, uh, where is it that we want God to take us to? Where, how, and how can we arrive at this destination that God has in mind for us? And, and we've agreed, and we would have to agree today, that we have absolutely no idea exactly what God has in mind for us. You know, we've heard this testimony, and we could, others could share the same truth that, you know, God has called us. We don't know where he might be leading us and where we might end up. We don't know exactly how it might look like at the end of our days for sure. And, and even at the end of this year, what God might be doing in us or through us. So we can't necessarily say exactly what the destination will look like. But we, we've been saying that we can have at least a, an idea or at least a picture of what we would like to be able to say as we come to the end of these, the days of our lives or the, the days of this year. And, and it's in, in the words that the Apostle Paul shared as he came to the end of his life, capping off 30 years of ministry. And as he wrote to his, his young protege, Timothy, those, those words that hopefully you've, you've come to know pretty well by now over these last few weeks. But let's read them together. They'll be on the screen. Paul said, I have... A good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And, and what a great place to end up. We, we don't know exactly what it might look like, but to be able to say at the end of our lives or at the end of this year that we have done these things, what a, a great place to be, what a great spot to, to end up. But we've been saying this, that in order to be able to declare that we have fought the good fight and finished the race and, and kept the faith, then then right now we actually need to be about the business of fighting the good fight, of running the race, and of holding on to and, 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 and keeping the faith within us. We've, uh, we've said with John Wesley that, uh, that we recognize that our eternal lot depends on our present choice. So we've been thinking about how our destination is determined really by the directions that we take right now. And so, you know, just looking back, we said that it's first of all important that we make that right turn to Jesus. We will miss our destination for sure if we miss that first right turn. Then we talked about just going straight ahead in the moral decisions that we make and not getting derailed or sidetracked by some of the decisions that we might make. And then last week we talked about the importance of getting in the carpool lane and the significance of the relationships that we we, we are part of as we travel this journey of faith and how that all plays into it. So there are lots of other directions as I thought about this. There's lots of other directions that we could possibly talk about in thinking of the destination and how to get to the destination that God would have in mind for us. This sermon series could probably last a few more weeks, but we're going to cut it off. And so I just had to choose one. And, uh, and, and it may be the right one for you and it may not be, but well, let's just trust the Lord to help us with that. And uh, I want, so today I want to direct us especially to this idea of, of keeping your eyes on the road. Keep your eyes on the road as we travel this destination. 
to our destination. This looks like some of you, perhaps, when we're driving. But, uh, but especially today, as it relates to the, 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 the dangerous, potentially uh, devastating uh, diversion of, of money. Now, I am... Um, let me just be honest. There are lots of other things that I'd rather talk to you today about money. Money is funny, right? Say it with me. Money is funny. And, and, and it, there's lots of other things that I could talk about that would really kind of bless my soul, I think, a little bit more than, than this particular subject this morning. Um, and, and it raises all sorts of issues within you and me and all sorts of little, you know, emotional kind of ties. And especially in church, you know, here's another pastor talking about money. And, and so I, I, I hate to kind of, you know, slide into some of those stereotypes, but do you know what subject Jesus talked more about than any other except for the kingdom of God subject? You're right. If you guessed. Funny money. It's, it, it's the second most talked about subject in all of Jesus' words. He seemed to know then, my friends, he seemed to know that the decisions we make concerning money and the attitudes that we, we hold within ourselves towards money have a hugely significant impact on our relationship with God and on our ability to make it to the destination that God has in mind for us. So here's the truth. Whether we're rich or whether we just want to be rich, which covers just about all of us here this morning, <laughs> And in fact, if you think about the world population, the poorest of us here this morning are rich in the eyes of the world. If we care half as much as we say we do, listen to this, if we care half as much as we say we do about our spiritual destination, about wanting to get where God wants us to be, then, then not to address this topic with some regularity and some seriousness is just not very smart. So here we go. There have always been things like this that uh, keep people from keeping their eyes on the road, right? I mean, I don't know what it is for you, but uh, there, there's all sorts of distractions all around us as we drive, and it's, and it's dangerous. I mean, you, you just talk about that straight out, think outside the car to begin with. Think about that stretch between Carpentria and Ventura and the beautiful Pacific Ocean as you drive along there. And I don't know about you, but in my family, we look for dolphins. <laughs> oh, there's one. You know, we look, we look for it. And then I was thinking about when we drive up to Mammoth to go snowboarding in those beautiful mountain ranges and along the 395 there, I think it is, and just looking at this beautiful landscape and the mountains and the cliffs and all these beautiful things. It's, uh, it's, it's awesome. And then, I don't really like these necessarily, but you're driving through Los Angeles or into Las Vegas, as we were a few weeks ago with the teens for our snowboard trip, and, and billboards, right, just everywhere, and just screaming at you and, like, waving at you even now. They move and they flicker, and, and you're like, no, I can't. And, and you're so drawn to these billboards. That's outside the car. And then think about inside the car. Oh, distraction parents here, screaming kids, you know, this and that, and 
and, and the coffee drinkers among us with the spilled coffee, you know, here or there or, or over here or, or the radio station that we just got to get dialed in. But there has never been a greater distraction for driving, statistically proved, than the beloved cell phone. You've all turned yours off, right, by the way? There. There had never been a greater distraction than the beloved cell phone. And first of all, it was just talking on your cell phone. And uh, it's bad enough. I, I was riding in a car one time with a friend of mine who owns a, 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 some auto body shops on the West Coast here. He owns several auto body shops. And we were driving, and, and a lady with a cell phone on her cell phone just cut right in front of us and almost rammed right into his truck. And, and I started to get a little edgy. I'm like, I can't believe you know that. And I looked over at him, and he was so calm. And he almost had this little smile on his face. And he said, cell phones are so good for business. <laughs> so good for business. It was like, yes. And, and so, I mean, the business through the roof, you know, for the auto body repairman and, and cell phone. So talking was bad enough. But now we, we've got something new, and, and it's just sweeping the 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 driving nation, and that's DWT. Not DWI, not driving while intoxicated, but DWT, driving while texting. And, and you wouldn't find really anyone, I, I don't think, who would argue very much with the fact that texting while you're driving is a stupid idea. I don't know if I've ever said stupid in a sermon. My wife might get on me for that one, but it's dumb, all right? I don't think anyone would argue that it's just dumb. And yet, people keep doing it. I'm not here to pick on the young people. And we'll, but 18 to 24-year-olds, 24-year-olds, the statistics say that 50% text regularly while they drive. And then extend that on all adult drivers text at least 20% of the time, or 20% of the drivers text. And and this is so crazy. And, and another statistic I read about texting while you're driving is that the average, for every six seconds of driving, when someone is receiving or sending a text, they're looking away from the road for an average of 4.6 seconds, for every six seconds. So, and, and you drive about the length of a football field in 4.6 seconds at, 50, at 55 miles an hour. And so that is the extent of you know, time that, that there is with no eyes on the road and the potential for devastation and the accidents really have just skyrocketed with, uh, with driving while texting. Now, to be honest, there's lots of things uh, that just like while we're driving in our lives, there's lots of things that can cause us to get our eyes off the road and cause us to get our eyes off of Jesus and where he's He's leading us in this, in this spiritual destination as well. You can think of all kinds of things, an addiction, a bad relationship, our choices of entertainment, just to, to name a few. Um, but the words of Jesus that we'll look at in just a few moments and the experiences of our lives, both of our own and those we know, um, they keep pointing to the fact that perhaps the real equivalent of, of texting in this, uh, uh, as we attempt to make our way to our spiritual destination, the real, the most dangerous and scary distractions of them all is money. And, and we just kind of keep coming back to it. And so I want to look at, this, at one of the most popular, well-known stories where Jesus addresses this subject. And it's in, in really three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. 
But I want to look at it from Matthew this morning. It's Matthew chapter 19. If you have a Bible, I'd love to have you turn there. Matthew chapter 9 is the story of the rich young man. And uh, this story is known in other Gospels, the rich young ruler, you know, these kinds of things. But here in this case, it's just a rich young man who, who comes to Jesus. And uh, some really interesting words here that I want us to really pay attention to as we try to get a sense of what Jesus is talking to us about on this subject. So would you stand with me? I just want to read to you chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look up on the screen and follow along as I read. And at the end, I'll say the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Now a man came to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, Obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man... This is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. You can have a seat. A couple of truths I just want to draw out for us from this passage. And the first one is simply this, that money is a powerful distraction. Money, a powerful distraction. And those words are chosen carefully. It is powerful it is full of power, this, this, this idea, this, this money and possessions, a, a, a distraction that is filled with power. Think about with me for a moment this story and this man in particular who came to talk with Jesus. It, it, from all appearances, he seems to be actually a pretty good guy. There's no indication here that he's bad or filled with evil himself. In fact, Everything that we can see seems to say that he's really on a good path. I mean, some commentators have said, well, we don't know exactly what his motives were or why he said it like this or why did he talk to Jesus in that way. But what we know is that here is a man saying, how can I get eternal life? What can I do? What do I need now? And Jesus is saying, follow the commandments. And Jesus especially pulled out the second five of the Ten Commandments, about how you can relate well to people. And then he capped it off with the second part of the Great Commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this was a high calling that Jesus was calling him to. And the man said, what? I've done them. I do those. Check. You know, I got that part. What, what, what else? And, and so here's this guy that, that, that is pressing Jesus for how he can continue to grow, how he can seek to find this, or how he can find this true fulfillment in, in life. In fact, as I thought about this guy, I thought he probably, if Jesus would have asked him, he probably would have said, yeah, I actually give 
as well. I mean, I do all that stuff. He, he, was, he was on his way. He was a good man. And, and, and yet, here we find him as Jesus begins to press in on him a little bit and drill down and drive into the real issue, perhaps, in his life that was keeping him from, from allowing God to have full control of his life, that this man uh, just, and, and as the discussion turns to his money and his possessions, this man cannot continue on with the conversation. That, that, that he was willing, listen to this, he was willing to, to throw away the opportunity to be uh, on, a, on a new life of adventure with, with Jesus as his disciple. He was willing to throw away the possibility of being a full child of God with a treasure in heaven because he, he wanted his stuff. And, and it would be better said for us maybe to say that his stuff wanted him or his stuff owned him. Begin to think about this and, and the power of money and the power of possessions that, that so easily can seep into our lives if we're not careful. Some of you saw in the newspaper yesterday morning, yesterday morning that picture of the, the trees along Haley Street that just been lifted up by the wind, right? Just lifted up and, and uprooted and the concrete sidewalks just devastated. And, and we saw the, the wind and the rain throughout this week that just was powerful and the devastation that it brought upon, you know, the, the world as we see it, the erosion that, you know, I think we lost a couple more feet off this hillside back here. I think we're still a few years from slipping off the side, but uh, yeah, it's just the power of this, of this wind and rain it, and the devastating effects of it. It just was a picture to me of the, the devastating, potentially power of, of money and possessions in our lives. And it especially comes to, uh, to the front there in verse 22. And as I read this verse again this week, it just broke my heart. And I want you to, as you hear it again, just to let it break your heart a little bit. Because verse 22, after Jesus drills down on this young man a little bit, the young man it simply says this. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. It just breaks my heart especially when you begin to consider, and maybe you never have, and I hadn't until I read this this week, that this is the only time in all of the Gospels, in all the accounts of Jesus' life, this is the only time when he called someone to discipleship, called someone to follow him, and it was refused. Just begin to think about the power of money and possessions over this young man's life. It was as if, his money and possessions were sending a jamming signal to block God's call on his life. One person wrote this. We have to notice that every other time Jesus calls and says, follow me, people drop their nets. They leave their boats. They abandon their tables and they follow. Jesus' word overpowers every other occupation and preoccupation but money is so powerful that it alone can resist Jesus' word. Wow. It's scary stuff. And, and if, if, if it was so powerful in this man's life, then, then think about the power of money and possessions in our lives, in the day in which we live, in the culture in which we live, which is so caught up in consumption and earning and buying and spending and this and that and and if he couldn't fend off this power, even when Jesus was right in front of his face calling him to follow him, then 
then how tough and challenging and how, how su substantial and significant is this power unleashed in our world today? It is a powerful distraction. This story also draws out one other truth that I want you to be aware of, and it's simply this, that while it's a powerful distraction, money is a power to be broken. Our, our, the power of money and possessions over us is, is a power that, from God's perspective, is a power that is to be broken in us. The very hope of this whole story and the, and the opposite side of the young man's reaction is, is the possibility that Jesus was extending to him that, yes, you are controlled by your money and your possessions, but still I'm calling to you. Still I'm inviting you. Still there is hope. It's not, it's, not, it's not time to give up. We don't have to relinquish ourselves to this power. The very fact that Jesus would draw and invite and call and beckon him as he does to us witnesses to the fact that it is a power that is breakable, that can be broken in our lives and in the lives of folks around us. Uh, it, it's, a, it, it's a story that teaches every disciple in every generation to hear this command as a command to us as well. An invitation to us that we need to do something with our finances, with our economics that will indicate that our discipleship of Jesus and to Jesus is in fact real. It's a story that teaches that Every disciple needs to make some adjustments, make some changes economically to demonstrate that our, our discipleship is genuine. Now, Jesus invited this guy to sell his, all his possessions and give to the poor. We remember maybe the story of Zacchaeus where, you know, the, the tax collector that climbed the tree. You remember him? And after he had come to, to Jesus, he said, I'll give away half of what I have. It may not be that Jesus would want us to give all of what we have or even half, but are we willing to listen? We're willing to listen and, 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 and respond to him with integrity. Ultimately, this story talks about the fact that, that, that the, the power of money does not need to hold us captive, but that we can be, we can be freed from it, that there's hope for us that there's possibility for all of us that is exciting. It's a power that can be broken. But as the disciples said, maybe we say as well, uh, who then can be saved? In other words, hard for a rich man, hard, for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Some people think this was Jesus' like, his greatest attempt at humor, you know? I say, real funny, Jesus, real funny. If that's humor, then, you know, I, I don't really want to think too much about it because this is, what this is telling us is that it's difficult. When we put our trust in something else beyond Jesus, it is difficult, and he's saying that that is our tendency. And so the disciples hear him say that, and their first response is maybe ours when, when we say, hey, we can really break the power of money over our lives. It's, it's just simply to say, who then can be saved? Who then can do this? Who then can, can break out of this culture that we live in and, and, and really be free to live holy for you without the, the influence so strongly of money felt and possessions felt in our lives? 
And, and of course, we just love Jesus' response. I'll put it up here for you. Verse 26. Don't we love it? Read it with me, would you? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Think about the context of this comment from Jesus with me for just a moment, would you? I mean, we hear this passage quoted, or people speak of it quite often. You know, with God, all things are possible. But rarely do we connect it with the context in which it was originally spoken. Usually when people are talking about, with God, all things are possible, they're talking about, you know, a new job, or, you know, maybe she'll go out with me, you know. <laughs> or, or, you know, I'm going to buy a house someday in Santa Barbara, you know. With God, all things are possible. And, and, and we got to remember, and that's okay, because I really believe that's true, but, but remember the context of when Jesus spoke this. Can, can the... Can the power of money and possessions really be broken in our lives? This, this power that would, that, would, that would jam the call of God in our lives and that would keep us from becoming all that we could, you know, that God would have us to be, that would keep us from reaching the ultimate destination that God has in mind for us, can that power really be broken? Not by man is this possible, but with God, Jesus says, it is possible. All things are possible. And so our optimism uh, is, is in him. And, and it's been this way with every, you know, every step along the way in terms of getting to our destination. If we really want to get there, it's not going to be because of anything ultimately that we do. It's going to be because of what God does in us and through us. And so we're believing that, that even when it comes to our money and our possessions and the grip that it can so easily have on us, whether we have a little or a lot, we, we say with this verse, we say with Jesus, that God can transform us, that God can free us, that God can change us, that God can, you know, shift the priorities of our lives. He can reorient our whole approach to things. We can't do this, but God can do this in our lives. That's our hope. He can keep us. He can protect us. He can pull us when we feel ourselves being sucked into the the culture all around us. He can hold us in his hands and help us to live the way that he would have us to live. Even in our finances, even in our money and our possessions, with God, all things are possible. One of my favorite books that I have on my shelf is a book by Richard Foster, and, and the original title was Money, Sex, and Power. I love that title. Isn't it powerful? <laughs> For some reason, they must not have been selling enough copies or something, so they were freaking people out, so they changed the title to The Challenge of the Disciplined Life. <laughs> so boring. Big, big mistake on those publishers' part, in my mind. Money, Sex, and Power. And, 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 and I just love this book. I, I think it just speaks so. We read it as a men's group a few years ago, and I think it speaks so well. And, and in a, it's written by a guy named Richard Foster, and, and, and in this book, he he gives a few ideas that I just want to share with you, some really practical ideas. I just want to leave with you uh, today some really practical ideas that as God is at work making this possible, some very practical steps that you can take to, you and me, God, to, to team and partner with God in breaking the power of money and possessions in your life. Our goal here, remember, friends, is to make it to the destination, to come to the point where we can say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. And if we're going to do that, the decisions that we make about our money, even right now, 
are significant and will have a serious impact on our ability to make it to that destination. So let me just give these to you really quick. Number one is this. Hear what the Bible says about money. <laughs> Sounds simple enough, right? And we started after that this morning a little bit. But what would happen if we really stopped and listened to what Jesus and the rest of Scripture really said about money? And it's interesting to me that in the story, listen, to this, in the story, when the young man went away sad because he had great wealth, Jesus did not run after him. Jesus did not run after him and say, oh, you misunderstood. It was only a metaphor. I didn't really mean it. You know, if you just give a little bit, you'll be okay. Jesus meant what he said. The scriptures mean what they say. If we'll listen to them, how might it change us? Just, I just picked out two quick ones. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible. And 1 Timothy 6, 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. <coughs> Is there a second part of that or no? There it is. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You hear this? This is those who have gotten their eyes off the road. They've wanted it so badly, they, they've wandered from the faith. So if we'll just listen to what the Bible says and really hear it, we've got a great start. Here's the second one. Reflect on your relationship with money. Think about this. Just, just stop and reflect a little bit on how you feel about money, psychologically, emotionally, you know, your history, how your parents spent money, how they saved money, how, how you feel about earning money, how you feel about giving money, how you, how you relate to it and how it relates to you because we all have different experiences that shape the way that we either earn or save or spend money and how we feel about it, what our attitudes are towards it. And it's, it's the first step is just to assess those honestly. You know, is there greed in me? Is there selfishness? Is there, is there a, a, you know, is there a generosity in me? Whatever it might be to reflect on your own relationship with money. What are your hopes? What are your fears? What are your dreams? Number three is this. After we've done that, we can get to this point where we actually learn to manage our money. Learn to manage your money. Some people, this comes very naturally for, and you can do it well. Others, it's like the farthest down the list of uh, abilities and and yet we have the opportunity, once we hear what God says about it, once we discern our own relationship to it, then to actually begin to learn things about like budgeting and saving and, and, and giving and, and uh, you know, estate planning and wills and all these kinds of things that maybe we haven't thought too much about. So significant to uh, learn to manage. Number four, important one, gather a support system. Not too many of us you know, go around to our friends and just kind of talk about how we, you know, our money. It's kind of a taboo subject. It's pretty quiet. You know, we don't really like to know who does what and who makes and who spends and this and that. You know, we just kind of keep it on down low. I don't, I don't go up to, you know, a bunch of guys and just say, hey, I got a money problem. You know, I'm spending way too much. Hey, last night I went way into debt, you know. <laughs> or, you know, boy, my credit card is just shooting through the roof. <laughs> uh, how about those Colts? You know, we just don't talk about it. But, 
And, and, and you know what happens when we do that is we just begin to put it all on our own shoulders and it just begins to weigh us down until the point where we're all just walking around with just this weight, perhaps, of, our, of, of money and, and possessions. And what happens when we just carry that ourselves? And it, 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 it owns us even more. It owns us even more. And so the idea is simply to gather some people around you. It could be a good friend. It could be a spouse. It could be a couple of people who you can just be open and honest with and say, here's my credit card statement. You know, what do you think of that? Or here's my, you know, my giving record. What do you think? I mean, what are some things I could do here differently? Or this is what I'm thinking about doing. This is what I'm thinking about, you know, a little feedback into your life. Gather a support system and, and, and steal, rob money of its power in that way to kind of be your own secret deal that you're carrying around with you. That's number four. Number five is simply this. Pray about money matters. Money matters. I'm afraid that a lot of us hold like our spiritual life over here and we pray and we go to church and we, you know, we serve and, you know, we're nice to people. And then over here we have a job and we get bills and we pay bills and we pay more bills, you know, and we just kind of the, the two never shall meet. You know, we just kind of keep them separately. What if we began to bring the full force of prayer onto our finances? and onto the, the situation of our money and our possessions. What if we really begin to pray wholeheartedly and say, God, break me of that greedy spirit. Break me of that desire to acquire. You know, break me of that, whatever it might be, that power that my stuff has over me. Just break and, and begin to pray for others in the same way. Just bring the full force of, of prayer. God, help me. God, give me wisdom. God, give me discernment. I'm going to make some decisions financially in the next few days. Or I'm thinking about buying this. Or I think we need this. God, help me decide if that's the right way to spend my money. I think I need to do this. I need to save this. God, help me in this. Bring the full force of prayer. Number six, look for ways to dethrone money. Look for ways to dethrone money. Richard Foster really says it the best. He, 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 um, he just basically talks about in his book how anything that you can do to bring money down the list of what's really important in your life. Any, any action you can take to show money or to demonstrate that it really isn't the thing that controls you. That it isn't the, just to make a statement, a declaration that while it's, you know, important, it is not what is most important. And, and I just wrote this one quote he talks about, and he says, step on it, yell at it, <laughs> laugh at it. You know, just, just take your credit card every once in a while and just throw it on the ground. Just, <laughs> just grind it a little bit, you know, or just take some cash and throw it around. And, well, you know, step on it, yell at it, laugh at it, list it way down on the scales of values, certainly far below friendship and cheerful surroundings. And then he says this, and engage in the most profane act of all, give it away. Give it away. This, if you haven't noticed, to this point has been a sermon on money in church in which I have not mentioned at all giving, and in particular giving to the church. But 
I want to at this point, not as a means of raising money for the church or as a means of raising money for Haiti or the rescue mission or whatever it might be, but as a means of you being freed from the grip of money and possessions in your life. Every time we write that tithe check, every time we send that money off to someone who really needs it, we basically say, money, you have no control over me. Look at you. I'm giving you away. <laughs> there you go. And guess what? You're going somewhere where you get to do good. The power is being broken every time we give it away. And so when you write your tie check, when you send off your giving to wherever you give and, you know, these good organizations, every time you do it, would you just write that check or, you know, that automatic deposit or whatever it is and just do it with joy. Do it with joy because in so doing, you're taking another step in breaking the power of money and possessions over your life. You're taking it off the throne. Number seven is the last one. Simply this, always, 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 always choose people over money. What a great way to break the power of money in our lives. Yesterday morning, my son, you know, he gets up. Seems like I have a story about my son every week, but here, here's another one. He gets up early, you know, so he, we're out there Saturday morning and, and kind of watching TV a little bit, and Katie is, and Thomas is bored since he's been up since 6.30, you know, and so he's kind of getting bored by this point. So he's throwing his hacky sack against the back of our couch inside the house and fielding it like ground balls, you know. He's working on his same thing I would have done when I was six years old, but... At some point, his coordination totally isn't in line. You know, at some, at some point, instead of throwing it against the back of the couch, his hand lifts up and he lets go a little bit too late and the tacky sack soars right over the top of the couch and right into my God's 42-inch <laughs> HD TV. And, and, and the images of those commercials, those Wii, you know, fake Wii commercials where the guy actually throws the thing through. Have you seen those at all? Thro actually throws it into the screen. They just flash before my thinking. And I wasn't actually looking at it. You know, I just saw, I was talking to Katie, and suddenly this thing just, you know, shing, right in front of me. And I just hear this smack. You know, I look over here, and, you know, no damage is really done. And I look over here. And Thomas is standing there. <laughs> you know, and so in that moment, here I am. I've been thinking about this, you know. <laughs> like, what do I do? What do I do now? And, and uh, I, I'm not sure I responded 100% correct. <laughs> I said, Thomas, go to your room. Part of it was to get him to chill out, and part of it was probably to get me to chill out a little bit. But here's the deal. I went to his room a minute later, and I, I asked Katie, what, what just happened? You know, <laughs> She gave me the full facts, and I went to his room, and I said, and, and I walk into his room, and he's, he's laying there with his blankets, like, completely covering him, you know, just hiding, just fearful. I don't, I don't know. Embarrassed, ashamed just downright afraid. I, I don't know, but I, I, I came in there and, and in that moment I just, you know, kind of pulled the covers back and said, hey buddy, I kind of leaned over and I just said, hey, everything's all right. You know, nothing's broken, no worries. I'm, I, I wish you 
we be a little more careful. You know, we need to be careful of the things that we have. And, you know, God's helped us to be able to have some of these things. And so we, we need to take care of them and probably shouldn't throw your hacky sack in the house. You know, like all good parents. And then I just said, Thomas, to be honest, if, if there's ever anything that, I, you know, if that silly TV would ever get in the way of our relationship or you knowing how much I love you, then, you know, I'll just throw that thing in the trash. Last night at Carpentry, at this point, Greg Kirkmeyer said, I'll take it. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, be mean to your son, James. Now get a TV out of the deal. Uh, but I said, man, I'll just toss that thing in the trash. It is, it is so not worth what's going on between me and you. And, and I hope that you can just kind of think about your own situation, whether, whether it be children or your spouse. I heard another guy this week, and he just basically said they've taught their children, uh, you know, what's the most important thing? People. And they said, we know it's God, really, but for kids and for us, sometimes it's just easier to say people. And so whenever there's strife or, or division or where there's anger or, or conflict in the family, they just say those words, you know, what, what's most important? people and and that just has a very focusing effect does it not and so when we feel the tension when we feel the money the possessions starting to grab us and send us in different directions that would that would break relationship or produce conflict then then just step back and say you know what i'm always 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 going to choose people and my relationships over my money and every time you do that like yesterday with thomas I broke the power of money and, and possessions a little bit more in my life. Uh, this verse 26 is a great one. Go back to that. Jesus said, look at them and said, man, it's impossible. God, all things are possible. You know, this, this is the, the real summary of this whole sermon series. Uh, if we're going to reach our destination, it's not going to be because of anything that we do. I'm going to, if left to my own Discretion. I'm going to make wrong turns. I'm going to take, you know, detours and run into dead ends. I'm going to drive in the traffic, single car, you know, not the carpool lane every time. These are some of the choices I'm going to make. But, but with God, all things are possible. And so I just simply want to leave you with that thought. I, I want you to just, for a moment, and we're going to sing this song in, in just a, a moment, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And, and I want you just, whether it's your money, possessions, your moral choices, you know, your relationships, whatever it might be, I just want you to look at Jesus today and on into the days ahead. Because here's the thing. I love this. Jesus looked at them. He's looking right back at you. And he's, he's looking at you with a piercing gaze this morning. You can feel his eyes just burning into your soul. But he's doing it with great love. And he's saying... If there's anybody who wants you to get to that destination, it's me, Jesus is saying. If there's anybody who wants you to be able to say you fought the good fight and finished the race and kept the faith, it's Jesus. And so he's saying, with, with God, it's possible. So look to him, would you? Whether this morning you need to just pray about uh, breaking the power of money and possessions in your life, or whether one of these other issues, would you just hear God or Jesus saying to you, with God, it is possible. Possible. Grab onto it today. Let him begin that transforming work 
in your heart and in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, with you all things are possible. And that you are, uh, you are leading us, you are helping us, you are transforming us. And we simply pray, God, that we would have hearts that are open. We would have hearts that are receptive to your Holy Spirit that, that would make room for you to come in and tweak and change and adjust and, and make completely new if need be, even here this morning. God, there's, it's our desire to keep our eyes on the road. It is so easy to get distracted by so many things and especially as we've talked about this morning, by money and by possessions, whether we have a lot or a very little. It's so easy to get our eyes off the road. So Jesus, come again to us this morning. Look into our hearts and give us the strength that we need. And with, with our commitment and our desire, dear God, help us to be folks who can keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep walking this path to make it to the destination that you have in mind for us. And so, God, for everyone here this morning and, and who's been a part of these weeks, uh, it's, it's, it's that prayer that will just continue to ring in our hearts, that at the end of this year, the end of our lives, we'd simply be able to say those words, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And we know that it will happen, Jesus, as we seek you and as you give us the strength to do so. So we give you thanks again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.